In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing the 2009 First Baptist Church of Maryville shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, The 2009 First Baptist Church of Maryville Shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let us begin in the Bible as we always do. This one is 2 Samuel 3 verse 27, and it reads like this, And when Abner was returned from Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly, and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died, for the blood of Asher his brother. So what I, the reason we picked that verse, kind of maybe seems a little random, is this, is sometimes you just don't see it coming. And that's the case with this shooting at this church here, is the guy never attended there. He he had no connection to that church at all. And as far as we know, no animosity against that church uh, at all. And so sometimes it just happens. There's no predicting. But that doesn't mean that we're powerless. So let's get into this, this story here. And as always, I'm going to do a little reading to make sure we, you know we get all the details. So let's go ahead and jump into this. The First Baptist Church of Maryville, Illinois, um, is, is on a two-lane state highway on the east end of the village, just a block away from the city of Troy. It moved there after Dr. Fred Winters, the pastor, became its pastor in 1987, and it outgrew the building it had occupied in the center of town. By 2009, membership had grown from 32 people to over 1,200 people. That's a huge gain. Um, its location, um, of, there's still a farm across the road, um, but urban development is expanding in that direction. So you can kind of imagine, it's kind of like my former church. Now it's uh, completely surrounded. But anyway, um, at 8 a.m. Sunday morning, March 8, 2009, a red Jeep um, came from Troy and pulled into the parking lot. The driver parked the Jeep and went in as the first of three worship services was in session. He was a stranger, um, someone that no, um, no one present knew him at all. He walked past people in the foyer and into the sanctuary. Seeing the pastor on the platform, he came down the aisle, passing those already seated. At first, they thought that this was a beginning of a skit to illustrate the morning uh, message. Down front, he spoke, the killer spoke to Dr. Winters, who replied, uh, no one else could hear enough um, to know what the man said. The stranger pulled out a 45 caliber pistol and shot him four times. Winters held up his Bible in front of him um, in an attempt to protect himself. The first shot sent a cloud of confetti flying. Some people thought that this was a special effect, but it wasn't. One of the four bullets passed through Winter's heart. He ran up the aisle, this is the pastor, ran up the aisle, soon collapsing and dying between the pews. The shooter tried to fire again, but the gun jammed. He dropped the gun and pulled out a knife. Two members of the congregation stormed him, knocking him down. In the melee, all three men were cut. 
the shooter most seriously. He and one of the tacklers had to be hospitalized. Only God knows how many people would have been killed if the gun had not jammed. And so you can just imagine this here. The service is going. The bad guy shows up in the parking lot of, you know, in his Jeep. He gets out. He walks into the front door, walks through the foyer, walks into the service, into the sanctuary. Everyone is seated. The pastor is on the front, you know, on the stage behind the podium. And the guy walks right down the middle aisle up to the pastor. He says something to him. The pastor has an exchange with him. And then bam, bam, bam. Four times, four shots. Goes through the pastor's heart. He stumbles off the stage or from behind the podium. Goes down that middle aisle. Probably walks right past the killer. And ultimately collapses and dies. At that point, the bad guy's gun is jammed. And he pulls out a knife, and luckily two people tackled him to the ground, all of them getting injured. One of the good guys going to the hospital because of the severity of the cuts, and of course the killer also cut up pretty bad. So who is this guy? Now we're never going to say the name. We never do that. We don't want to give uh, um, we don't want to give any credit to a, a murderer. So the shooter was a 27 year old male who had been diagnosed with schizophrenia when he was 18. That's not necessarily when he acquired the disorder, but it's when it developed to the point where it could be diagnosed. Uh, most schizophrenics, in case you don't know this, reach a point sometime between 17 and 22 years old where it's pretty, it gets pretty extreme. Um, if it's diagnosed more, it's diagnosed more often in men than women, um, when engaged early enough, it can be managed through counseling and medications. Um, like other disorders, schizophrenia has degrees of severity, of course. Um, it also varies in kinds of expression. Um, what is most basic about, uh, most common, is the distortion of reality. An assailant who nearly killed President Reagan had delusional schizophrenia, where he thought if he killed the president that Jodie Foster, the actress, um, would fall in love with them for some reason. Um, uh, but mostly, paranoid schizophrenics are always thinking of um, someone who is out to get them. Uh, they may act aggressively if perceived, um, you know, they act aggressively if they feel like they're being threatened, you know, and they perceive it, their actions as self-defense. So if this guy has severe schizophrenia, which the evidence seems to point to that, when he went in there and shot that pastor, in his mind, he was protecting himself. Um, some behaviors are totally irrational with absolute no discernible logic. So there's also that end too, of course. The shooter's schizophrenia was complicated by Lyme disease, which he got from a tick bite. The disease, Lyme disease, causes lesions on the brain. Uh, in an interview months before the shooting, his mother said that the lesions made it harder for him to concentrate, caused erratic behavior, created memory lapses. After the shooting, um, he had no recollection of it. There's no record as why he went to First Baptist Church. Uh, we can surmise that it was because it was in a highly visible location um, along a frequently traveled route. And so maybe it was just a target of opportunity. Also, whether... Um, by intent or coincidence, the shooter arrived 
um, just as it opened at 8 a.m. for their first service. So we don't know anything beyond that. Uh, no motives, nothing. This is a guy that's completely out of his mind. Um, the shooter had no arrest records and or police responses. So on that score, he was off the radar and not anyone's watch list. He'd never done anything wrong, ever. Um, and so, and there's no record of where he got the pistol. So here it is, a completely random, violent attack against the church. And there was no way, I mean, the police weren't tracking him. Um, of course, his mother and psychologist, to some degree, were tracking him. Um, but neither, you know, we get no evidence that he had made violent statements or anything beyond what you expect a paranoid schizophrenic to say. And then, of course, then we have this. All right, so the lessons learned that I want to get into, because I think that's really has to be the bulk of this discussion. And that is, what could be done? What can we do in these kind of situations so we can mitigate this kind of violence from breaking out in our churches? The first thing is this. The skit, uh, sermon illustration, whatever it is, <clears throat> your team has to be aware of any skits, uh, sermon illustrations, or even things that the worship service might be doing that is out of, no, uh, out of the normal. Okay, this should not be a surprise to us. If the pastor, I think about my pastor, a new church I'm going to, uh, one of his sermons not too long is he had like a plastic sword there. Now, it was clearly costume, you know, it, it was very clearly that. But we can't leave those decisions, even though it's obvious in that case, we can't leave that decision to the pastor or to the worship team leader or anyone else of what they're going to keep secret. They need to tell us all the skits that they're doing. And we need to know if the worship team's got some sort of fireworks going off because it's Easter or whatnot, I don't know. Uh, thunder sound, I, I, I don't care what it is. Any props that are coming, we need to know about these things. I actually had an experience like this where I was invited to my mother's church and it was, I, I believe it was for Easter and they were going to have some sort of special event and all that good stuff. Unbeknownst to me, they had actors in the congregation. So I'm not familiar with this church. I'm, I mean, I have not, I've maybe visited once or twice before in the past, but I don't know what it's like. And so I go there, I'm with my wife. My daughter may have been there too. I don't remember. It's been a while. And this guy sits down next to me and he's dressed as a homeless person. He's an actor. I don't know it. But he's dressed as a homeless person. And while he's sitting there, I mean, he's wearing way too much clothing. Um, it's hot in there. I mean, I'm hot and I'm, you know, I've taken off my jacket and I'm hot. And this guy's wearing all this stuff and he's coughing. And... So what I do is, you know, like I said, I don't know it's an actor. And so what I do is I want to engage him in a way that seems very natural. So what seemed very natural to me was to play the concerned Christian. And so I was like, hey, buddy, are you okay? And he's like, uh, he kind of mumbles at me. And then I was like, hey, I asked my wife, I said, you know, you got any Dayquil or medication for a cough and that kind of stuff? And so she gave some and I gave it to him and he thanked me. And I'm like, okay, you know, he's, he seems okay. 
you know, um, obviously he's sick and maybe he wandered in off the street, which would not have been over surprising in that area. Um, also, the church kind of, um, you know, caters to the down and outers, you know, so it's it's kind of that very small community church kind of deal, you know, and they really reach out to that community, which is all great stuff. Well, then later, there's a song that plays and each one, at, one at a time, a different actor gets up somewhere in the sanctuary and walks up there and, and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, the point is this, is if I'm on safety and security and they're doing stuff like that, I need to know that because I'm looking for suspicious behaviors. And if we don't want our actors, if we don't want our people to be getting harassed by the safety team, we need to know. And we need to know who those people are. So if I was working security there, or safety there, and this guy sat down, I would have known if anyone would have told me. I, I need to know that. So I need to know how to handle that situation. I hope that makes sense. So as a safety team, make sure you know about all skits, sermon illustrations, and worship service type stuff they might be going on doing that are out of the ordinary. And it's going to be up to you to ask. So the worship team that's planning to blow some cannons with confetti flying out into the audience, um, they're not going to think anything of it other than this is going to be great and this is going to be awesome. You have to ask and they'll be like, oh yeah, we are going to do some pyrotechnic stuff. Okay, next thing is I'm stealing a phrase from um, uh, Simon with the worship, uh, uh, Security Worship Association. Anyway, worship security, whatever. It doesn't matter right now. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. He's like, what? It doesn't matter. All right. Uh, you guys know who I'm talking about. Simon. Anyway, he talks about violating social boundaries. And that's exactly what this guy did. Regardless of skit and take all that away. Imagine just this. You're, everyone's sitting. The pastor's behind the podium. He's saying his prayer or he's talking in a sermon. And somebody comes in and walks straight down the center aisle right up to the pastor. That's, that's a violation of social boundaries, right? Normally when somebody comes in late, you know, they're finding the quickest seat that they can find and they get set, set down. But even so, even if people come in deeper in your church, you know, one-third, two-thirds of the way into the sanctuary, you know, at some point, he's now walking right up to the front. He's probably, I'm guessing, looking straight at the pastor. This is a violation of what we would consider normal social boundaries. These, this is a weird behavior. Now, this actually comes in, and we're going to talk about this. Well, I'll hold off on that. Um, the other thing that we need to do, and we've talked about this about a billion times, is the team, the staff, the volunteers all need to be trained on suspicious behavior and gun spotting. Now, I don't know what this guy was wearing, but was he printing? If somebody would have been watching his waist, you know, maybe around the chest, his ankles, you know, that kind of stuff that we all know, we need to remind our staff, our volunteers, to look for those kind of things. Other things, suspicious behavior, violating that social boundary, you know, coming in late. There's no even indication that anyone met with him at the door or greeted him in the foyer. I mean, he just came, walked right in, went right inside, and walked down the center and started shooting. So we have to have that training. And it's more of a refresher. 
you know, so I say that to you and you're like, yeah, yeah, I, I completely know that. But we, all, we always need that constant reminder to talk about it. You know, I've told you in the past, one of the games I used to love playing with my team, certainly play with my daughter and with my wife, it's spot the gun. <laughs> and you go into a room of people, you know, maybe you're at the movie theater waiting in line for popcorn or whatever. Look around. Can you see who's packing heat? You know, or who might be. I mean, we sometimes we don't know for sure, but it's like, oh, there's something there. You know, it could be a gun. That kind of deal. The last thing is strategic posting. You know, having safety team members in the congregation strategically placed. Now, some of you that have been with me for a while, you, you remember my really bad drawing of... Uh, of, you know, like what a sanctuary might look like, you know, with curved seating versus just kind of a rectangular type seating and where you might place people in that setting in order to best handle an active shooter or violent intruder type situation. Now, in a rectangle, I said, you know, one guy on the far, you know, front left and one guy on the right left or vice versa. It doesn't matter. And the idea is the ability to intercept now, in this situation, you could see how having somebody sitting on the front row right along that center aisle would have been a very good position, right? So if that guy's sitting there and he's paying attention to what's going on, hopefully, or maybe his partner calls said, hey, some guy just came in, he's walking right down the center aisle. So you at least look over your shoulder and you see this guy walking in. What would have that trained safety team member seen and how might they have been able to act? You know, certainly, maybe the guy would have got one shot off. I mean, or maybe he would have been tackled to the ground or went out as he was pulling. Or maybe he would have ended up getting shot. I don't know, you know. You know, there's a hundred, if not thousands of little factors that play into a deadly force situation. But that could have been a key location for somebody to be. And so, that's something that you have to consider. Look at your sanctuary, where is the pastor? Where's the family, the pastor's family normally sit? Where do other people that you know, maybe your ER nurses or your, you know, firefighters and other people that maybe aren't part of the team, but you know that they're resource, they are resources in case of an emergency. And then looking at your team, where might we sit in the sanctuary to best respond to a violent intruder? Now, in this case, up front, close to the pastor, would have been good. Maybe even behind the pastor, if that's appropriate for your church, where they would have watched the guy walk down the whole way, would have saw the action, and maybe would be able to save the pastor by pushing the pastor down and or um, shooting down range. And so all these things are considered. Take a close look for your church. What's going to work for you? So just real quick, I want to cover that again. You need to know what skits, illustrations, and what the worship service is up to. <laughs> Every Sunday, Every event, you need to know what they're planning. Next, look for those violations of social boundary. Um, does that mean, you know, just from somebody walking down, maybe they're heading towards a front seat, or maybe they're linking up with their family? But if nothing else, it should at least grab your attention, those violations of social boundary. And, and then maybe require some effort or some effort on your part to investigate more to learn what's going on. Making sure you're trained on suspicious behaviors and gun spotting. And then finally, what strategic positions can you have around the church 
um, to best respond to these types of violent situations. All right, so before I let you go, I want you to know that we are coming really, we're coming up on our, um, on our next semester, if you will, the fall schedule. Um, so we're going to, and it starts February 6th, Safety Team Fundamentals, February 20th, Active Shooter Response, March 6th, De-Escalating Disruptive People, 20th, Protecting Children from Abuse, April 3rd, Basic Use of Force Laws, 25th, Arson and Fire Safety, May 15th, Storms and Disasters. So I'm going to be facilitating all these courses online um, basically every other Sunday, as you can tell from the schedule. And we spend two hours watching a video, having some discussion, answer some questions, all that good stuff. And if you sign up for that team certification, this is where you're buying it for your entire church, then you can basically invite your entire church to every single one of those online training events. And they can audit those courses, learn more. If you want, you can keep records of who attended those trainings so you have good training records. Other than that, if you get that team certification, five members of your team get their own access so they can attend with me or they can attend on their own time and their own computer, get that training done, take the certification test and be certified with us for five or for two, for two years. And then if you have more than five people, we also have an answer for you. Um, you're just buying additional seats for your safety team members that need certification. Other than that, thank you so much for watching this video. If you like it, like, share, comment, all that good stuff. It tells, uh, it tells YouTube, it tells iTunes, it tells all these different sources, whichever platform you're using, that we're worthy to be shared. So thank you so much for being here. And hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.